The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. Pathways. This is going to be our last see uh, our last uh, day in Pathways for uh, the beginning of the year. We're going to come back and hit it again. This is Pathways are, are the the it's the avenue. It's the tools that we've kind of defined for you to help you grow spiritually. I, I am certainly not ignorant that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of other ways for you to kind of pursue some spiritual growth. But this is sort of what our church has done, um, the, the growth goals, the, the places of maturity that we've identified um, that we want to see us all grow in. And uh, we have kind of made it as approachable as possible for you. Um, so on the back table back there, um, that table's up 24, 7, 365 days a year. Um, we just have it out in the hallway, but right now it's here. And so all the resources that we've identified to help you grow spiritually. So let me say that again. All the resources we've identified to help you grow spiritually, all right? So you're like, I don't know where to start. There's a starting place. I don't know where to jump back in. There's a place to jump back in. There's on-ramps in just about every area of spiritual growth you can think of. On that table, make yourself available. Go back there. They're online. They're on our website. You can check it out on there. Um, And so help yourself to to what's there, okay? And um, we look forward to how the Lord's going to grow us all. But just get serious about your spiritual growth this year. Um, It's crazy. We are already one month done with 2019. We've already blown through a month of this year, right? And some of us started the year four weeks ago. We're like, I'm going to grow in Jesus this year. And you haven't done anything about it. And you're already bummed out, right? You've already lost all your zeal and energy. That's a way for you to get serious about your spiritual growth and uh, kind of maintain it uh, throughout the year. So just take advantage of those things, all right? We'll be in our Pathways uh, a series and section again today. We'll be in Matthew 28 if you want to turn there. Uh, that's the, the scripture, the primary scripture we'll be in today. Uh, we'll have it on the screen if you don't. There's Bibles there for you uh, if you need one. Matthew 28. And I kind of wanted to start about this. And I wanted you just to think this morning uh, about why you're here today. Why are you here today? Or maybe, maybe better, how did you end up here today? Uh, how did you end up in this worship service today and at this church today? And for those of us who actually want to be here, um, how did you end up wanting to be here today? Like, how did that all get started? And I think for almost all of us, that story of how we got here, how we ended up in this place of worship today, um, I think for all of us, that's going to kind of end up being centered around a person or some people in our lives, right? Who influenced us, uh, who impacted us. So, For me, I think about like, well, how did I end up here? Um, It's not some list of extraordinary people or historically, um, you know, uh, important people. Um, It's people that you'll probably never, ever know. But to me, they're an awesome group of people. So I think about how did I end up here? I have vague, vague memories. Shady Oaks Baptist Church, when I'm like four and five years old, there was a nursery worker there named Mrs. Simpson, this Man, when you're four and five, anybody over 40 seems old. This woman was old, right? I don't know how old she was, but in my mind's eye, she was old, man. And she was this nursery worker in our nursery. And I have these brief 
flashes of her um, in my life. I remember distinctly one time my mom and my dad picking me up from the nursery. Remember the doors that were cut in half in the nurseries, right? Coming to pick me up in the half-door nursery. And uh, Mrs. Ms. Simpson giving me a hug at church. Like, that's ingrained in my memory from four and five years old, right? So Mrs. Simpson plays some part of this. Um, the Drapers, probably the entire Draper family, so you probably don't know who they are. The Williamsons, the Wilkinsons, Mac Irwin. Um, a single guy who worked with our student ministry when I was a teenager and let us go over and just trash his apartment and hang out with him. Great guy. Changed my life, impacted me. The Hill family, the Hills. These are just regular people who did several things for me. They loved me and they accepted me and they told me the truth. They loved me and they accepted me and they told me the truth. Now, that was at different phases of my life, different stages of my life. So the the truth that I got at four and five wasn't the truth I got when I was 18. So these people, God put them in my life, I think, at certain times to speak these things into me. But they all hold that, those three things, they have them in common. They, They loved me, they accepted me, and they told me the truth. And I think that's what people want, isn't it? That's what I want. I want people to love me, and I want people to accept me, and I do want people to tell me the truth. I may not like it. But if I know you love me and you accept me, I'll probably tolerate it. I want people to love me, accept me, and tell me the truth. And I think that's what most people want. is to be accepted, to be somewhere with somebody who accepts them. Who loves them, really loves them, and who will tell them the truth. Now, if I had to restate what we're supposed to be doing as believers, I think I could state it like that. What are we supposed to be doing? What is the mission that we're supposed to be on with God? I think we're supposed to be loving people, accepting them where they're at, who they are, all their flaws and foibles and the things that they do that are very offensive. Just we're supposed to accept them and we're supposed to tell them the truth. That is the mission I think that God has sent us on, that we go with, you know, Jesus on that mission mission. And the gospel that we take with us allows us to do those things. So two weeks ago, two Sundays ago, um, we talked about being on mission. And we talked about God's mission. And I know most of you have all those points memorized, but for those of you who weren't here, I'm going to recap some of that stuff, okay? It'll be a good reminder for those of us that were here and a good uh, uh, information for those that that weren't here that day. So what we talked about a couple weeks ago was this, was that God has a mission Uh, the early church, the first church, like the one we see Acts, the one we see in Corinthians and Romans and all the the Bible books that we have, that early church understood that, that she was a resident alien. Part of her core understanding of who she was and what God had called her to do was that this is not home. This is not what we were made for. They were resident aliens, and there was this tension between the church and culture. They were distinguishable. The church didn't look exactly like the culture. As a matter of fact, the church was radically different from the culture. And there was this tension between those two things. The church understood that for them to make a, a real difference in their culture was they had to have an alternative, uh, alternative community. They had to have a different way of doing life with each other. And that, that, that community was fed by a different story. They weren't living for the same thing that the culture was driven by. The culture has a particular story. There's a narrative that our world is telling. And they understood that their narrative was different. 
So they understood that they were resident aliens. That a lot has changed. We're not going to go rehash all that. But we have definitely lost that, especially in the West. I can't really speak for a church in Iran or, you know, Egypt, northern Egypt and parts of, the, of Africa and China. I can't speak to that church. But the church in the West where we are, the church where we are, we have just lost that understanding that we are supposed to be distinguishable from the culture around us. That there should be something radically different about us. And that culture has just permeated so much of what we do and who we are as a church, what we believe, what we think the core message we're supposed to be giving people has been so just permeated by the world around us. We see, if we really evaluate that and understand that, we would see how badly, how badly our culture needs an alternative story. How badly our culture needs an alternative community than what they're living in right now. We talked about the fact that believers, Christians, all of us, not the church, but each of us individually, we, we talked about how the, the most impactful thing that we can do is take the gospel with us and that your missionary encounter happens when you just go live your life. That your missionary encounter doesn't happen in Uganda, it doesn't happen in Panitas, it doesn't happen in Jenny Lane. Your, your, your missionary encounter happens when you go teach at school when you interact with people on your baseball team, your swim team, or whatever it is you're doing, when you interact with your neighbors, when you submit to your crazy boss, when you direct your crazy employees, <laughs> that's the missionary encounter. How you're living out that alternative story every day, taking that message with you, that's where your greatest impact happens. And that's the mission field that God's called us to. So it's this idea that our lives are the mission field. Everything we do is the mission field that God's called us to. And God has a mission for us. And here's what I want to tell you. We talked about it then. I'm going to say it again. That God's mission for you might not include your health or your long life or your prosperity or your circumstantial happiness. But it always, always includes you taking the gospel to lost people. Always. That is not questionable. That is not debatable. That is not optional. You don't get to choose whether or not you walk out of here and tell people about Christ. That is the mission. We all want that 10% of God's will for us. What is it that God wants for me? How can I find happiness in life? Who am I supposed to marry? Where am I supposed to go to school? What car am I supposed to buy? What shoes should I wear today? We want these like very specific instructions from God about how to live our lives. And God's like, I'll get to that. I have told you what I want you to be doing. You can't read scripture and walk out of here and go, I don't know God's will for my life. You cannot do it. There may be some details that have to be filled in. There might be some specifics that you need to know about, but what God wants us to do, unquestionably clear in scripture. And we're missing the 90% of what God told us for the 10% that I would really like him to tell me. Our mission field is in how we live, how we handle conflict, how we try to build relationships, how we treat the person we don't like, how we participate in the community and the society that God's given us. So how do we do this? And I talked about it two weeks ago. I'm going to say this again. How do I get out and do the mission that God's given me? We have to get out of the Christian ghetto. You're like, Sanders, that's really harsh. I get to quote somebody else who said that. That's all I'm doing. I believe it. <laughs> 
but I didn't make it up. So I'm not banging on anybody in particular, but you need to understand what I'm saying. Get out of the Christian ghetto. We have created a subculture. We're no longer a counterculture. It's a subculture. We just exist in parallel to the the culture that's around us. We have to get out of that, that ghetto and get into the culture that God's placed us in. In the world, but not of it. Amen? We got to get out of the Christian ghetto. We have to learn the language of our culture. Our culture speaks a language, and it should sound like Mandarin orange to us as Christians. It should, right? We should hear it and we go, I don't understand what you're talking about, but I'm going to learn what you're talking about because you're my mission field. If you were going to go to Guatemala, you'd learn Spanish, wouldn't you? If you're going to go to Chinese, China, you'd learn Chinese. Japan, Japanese, you wouldn't go in there and shove English down their throats. We're doing that with the gospel message. We have got to learn how the culture around us talks. And we have to give them the gospel in a way that makes sense. That's in the arts and in writing and in blogs and all the ways that we have this opportunity to to engage with the culture around it. Not just to bash it, but to recognize that there is beauty in it and to critique it when necessary, unflinchingly and unfailingly from a gospel point of view. But speak into our culture and speak the language of our culture to people. We have to tell our story in real language. If you went to your neighbor and like, hey, how are you doing? God's redeemed my soul, justified me, and he sanctified me today. Amen, brother. Like, what the heck, man? What are you even talking about? Right? I'm not saying that's not true, but it makes no sense to anybody who's not in the ghetto. That's ghetto language. Do you understand that? That's the language we speak in here. Out there, it makes no sense. How are you doing? Man, life is hard. I'm, I'm really having a hard time. You ever have hard days? But I know that I can pray and talk to God every day because he walks with me. And he said he'd never leave me. I, I know I believe that with all my heart. It may be weird, but they get it. It's still countercultural, but at least it's words that make sense, right? It's language that makes sense. Tell your story in real language. Listen to people. Listen, just listen. What's going on in the people around you's lives, man? You may, all you may hear is that they went out and got drunk or they had sex on Friday night or they do drugs or they're disrespectful or every other word's a curse word out of their mouth. That may be all you hear, but you're not listening. Listen to the people that are around you and in your lives. The next thing you're going to do is you're going to pray. And you know what? Ask them if you can pray for them. Man, I hear you're really struggling at home with your mom and dad. Can I pray with you? Can I pray for you about that? Maybe not with you, but for you. Is that okay? Nobody turns that down, man. Like twice in my life have I had somebody say, no, thank you. Pray. Actively pray. Tell them you're praying. Let them know about that. Do something meaningful in your community. There are people around us hurting. I had a a meeting on Friday. Y'all realize that there are still people recovering from Harvey? There are still people whose lives are turned upside down because of an event that happened a year and a half ago. We've gone on with our lives because we're able to. There are people within a stone's throw of us today who are hurting. You have an opportunity to go into the community, get out of the ghetto, take what you say is good and true and real about God into the community and change lives. If you want to make a difference and be on the mission of God, get out of here and go do something for the people that are hurting. That is part of God's mission. Part of God's mission is that he is redeeming all things unto himself. And we can take part in what he's doing right now. Be genuine. Don't be fake. If your life is a hard day, it's okay to shed tears in front of people. It's okay to tell people it's bad. It's okay. Don't end 
those conversations with complaining, but it's okay to complain and tell people about what life is about. That's all right. Be genuine. Most people have a big meter to know if a radar going on to know if you're not being true. If you're fake and plastic, they'll catch it pretty quickly. And the rest of your message gets lost because it all starts to sound fake and plastic. Be genuine. Be real when you talk. Invite them into your world. You have imperfections, right? You're walking with Jesus. Maybe there's an opportunity for you to meet him for coffee and have a conversation about that and tell them what your life with Christ looks like. But invite them into your world. That could be inviting them to a church event or to your small group or to your life group or something like that. It could, it could involve all those kinds of things. Here's another thing. We have to model a lifestyle that is radically different. We're going to hit this again later on. We have to model a lifestyle that's completely radically different because, listen, they're living a particular lifestyle, not because they enjoy hurting themselves, but because they believe it's going to make them happy. Maybe it's just the default. They don't know where else to turn, so they're going to do what they know in hopes that someday it would make them happy and satisfied and give them peace. If we're living the same lifestyle and counting on the same things that they're counting on to make us happy, whole, and satisfied, we have no message to share. We have to live a lifestyle that's radically different, that shows that we're counting on something else, somebody else, somewhere else to make us whole, happy, and satisfied. Some of us are like, man, that's a lot, Pastor Joe. Um, I think about my Christian life, and I don't even know if I'm ready to do that. And I'm like, I'm kind of bored with Christianity, and it's really not that powerful. It's not doing what I want it to do. And there's lots of ways we can kind of talk about that. And we're like, man, what is my purpose in life? And I just want to come back and hit it again, man. Don't miss the 90% of what God wants you to do because you have to have your 10% before you'll obey him. So single person, don't sit here and waste these single years because you're not married. And you're angry because God won't give you a husband or a wife or show you what's going to happen with the rest of you. He's already revealed to you like 90% of what you're supposed to be doing right now. If you're a believer, that's true. Mom and dad, don't waste this time. Don't waste this time with your kids. Don't waste this time. Don't waste the time with your spouse. He has told us what we're supposed to be about. And so many of our lives, our homes are our Christian ghettos sometimes. We get so introverted and introspective about what's happening in here that we forget to take our kids and take our spouses and show them we're on God's mission as a family. Ask yourself this question. What if, what if it's possible? So while you're praying for God to show you everything you want in life and just shower you with blessings, what if it's possible? And, and Mindy and I have had this conversation several times over the last year and a half about where she is and where we've been. What if it's possible that the only reason, are you ready for this? The only reason that you're even around these people that you're around right now, and the only reason you're in these situations is because they need Jesus. It's got nothing to do with you. Are you ready for that? Child of God, Christian, are you prepared for that? Will your theology handle that? No, Jesus wants to bless me in all things. Well, maybe he does, but sometimes he blesses you when you sacrifice yourself and you give yourself away. And the mission for God for you right now, today, might be that you're where you're at so that somebody else comes to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But we're so lost in asking God to show us why we're here that we lost the opportunity to tell somebody. Is that enough purpose for you? And if it's not, if you're wrestling with that right now, there's something in our hearts that has to change. Our value system's upside down. If that doesn't motivate me enough, 
to get up and go do it again tomorrow and be around those people that I don't want to be around in a situation I don't want to be in. If it's not enough for me that I'm there because somebody needs Christ, my value system's upside down, not God's. We're so self-oriented that the purposes of God for all mankind, for history, doesn't fill us up. There's a, there's, I, I was getting ready for this week, and there was a little bit, as I got into the Scripture, there's a little bit of a revelation that kind of hit me. And I, all, we're going to focus on one Scripture in particular, and I guess I just hadn't put these scenarios together from Scripture uh, the way they need to be put together. But from the time that Jesus comes back from the grave to the time that he ascends into heaven— there are actually three different commissions. There are three different times when he looks at his disciples and he's like, go. Now, we are going to default to Matthew 28, and that's the one we're going to look at today. It's the most famous one we're going to know. But there are actually two other times between the time that Jesus comes back from the grave and the time that he leaves where it's recorded where he tells us to go. John chapter 20, verse 21. They're having this conversation with the risen Lord, and he looks at him and he says, just like I was sent, I'm sending you now. Then we get the Matthew passage that we're going to look at. Then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, they're like, what are we supposed to do? They're having this conversation. Jesus goes back to heaven. They see him ascend into heaven. And they're like, wow, uh, we don't even know what to do now. And an angel comes and says to them, stay here until the Holy Spirit of God fills you why? So that we can have everything we wanted and our dreams can be true and we can be satisfied so that you will be my witnesses into Samaria, Judea, the uttermost parts of the earth. Three different times. So if we are sent out, if God and Christ are sending us out, if Christ is our example to follow and what it means to be sent out. Have you ever thought about that? So Jesus was sent from heaven. He was sent from the, the eternal presence of the triune God, which I can't wrap my brain around. And he was put into a human body and he was sent here to this foreign place. If that's my, if Jesus is like, just like I'm sent, I'm sending you. So if he's our model to follow, that means some things for us. That means that Jesus left what was familiar to him. He left the things that were safe to him, the things that he knew for eternity past. He left that to come to an unfamiliar place. He left his culture or his context, a place where the angels are singing, singing his praises, a place of perfect beauty, perfect rest, perfect goodness, perfect light. He leaves that culture to come into a different culture, a different context. He went to unknown people, and I'll say that, you're like, oh, well, God knows everybody. And I get that. But you, saw, you see Jesus in his, in his uh, time when he was here on earth, he went to the people who were unknown, not just the Jews, those who were theoretically supposed to be following him and seeking him. He went to those people who were far away. He went to demoniacs. He went, he went to people who were from Rome. He went to the, the dredges of society, the people who were on the outside. If he's our, our, our example that we're supposed to follow, that means something for what he's doing in me when he sends me. He went on purpose. He went to send the Spirit and to have the Spirit come and go with us. So if he's our example to follow, we have a lot to follow up with, right? Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, as we think about this mission 
and going with Christ on his mission. Let's look at Matthew 28. Again, this is probably the most famous one we, can, we could think of. Verse 18, Jesus came up to them and he was saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we have to first ask this question, who is it that is sent? Who is it that's actually sent in the Christian faith or in the Christian way of thinking? Is it only the apostles, the the 11 guys who are left here and they're following Jesus? We're going to add Paul to that. So was it just those guys? Yeah, I get it. Jesus sent those guys to go out and do his mission. Is it only the gifted? So, okay, so he sent the, the apostles and those people who are gifted to do it. And I'm not gifted to do that, so I'm not sent. Maybe it's missionaries. Well, yeah, he sent the apostles and he sends people who are gifted. Then he sends like this special group of people, missionaries. So we have this false segmented idea of ministry. And so some of us are, allow ourselves to carry around the idea, I'm not sent. That's for somebody else. We're thinking lay people aren't sent. I, I'm an attender. I'll go to church. And God's mission for me, I'm going to redefine it, is spiritual growth, devotional love for God, goodness to have good things. This is God's mission for me. Then we have, we go on mission trips, right? And we're like, well, I'm missional because I went on a mission trip. I went to Penitas or I'm helping a child in Uganda or I went to friends in North Richmond and I served one time. I'm missional. I, I did God's mission. Pastors are obviously supposed to go. They're professional Christians, right? So obviously they're on mission. They're supposed to go out. I'm paying them to go out. Missionaries, they're like the best. If pastors are pretty good Christians, missionaries are like the best Christians, right? They're, they're obviously supposed to go out and tell people about God. If you look in Scripture, you look in the book of Acts, what we begin to see is this, and it surprises even the apostles. Even the apostles are like, what is happening? So Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls. Peter does this incredible sermon. All these people in Jerusalem begin to get saved. Here's what happens by Acts chapter 8, which isn't a very long period of time. So just in a few chapters, what we see is the gospel goes with people to Samaria. And we know it's not the apostles because they get word back that something's happening in Samaria. And they're like, how'd that happen? We haven't been there yet. We should send some people to check that out and see if it's true. So the, the, the gospel goes to Samaria without the apostles. You guys realize that the oldest creed, the oldest organized church in the world is in Ethiopia? Did you know that? How did the gospel get to Ethiopia? None of the apostles went to Ethiopia. There's an Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 9. He goes home. The church gets to Rome. You realize Peter and Paul, neither one of them planted that church. And by the time Paul gets there, there were probably like 3,000 people in the church in Rome. And not one apostle had stepped foot in that city. How did it get there? How did the gospel grow like that? How did the church grow like that if professional people weren't doing it? Here's how it happened. Regular people 
came to saving faith in Jesus Christ and understanding what the gospel is all about. And here's what was awesome about the time period when Jesus came. There's about 120 years of almost perfect peace on the planet, which never happens. There was like 120 years where there was almost perfect peace. And there was an amazing highway system, roads that are still in existence today, 2,000 years later, that the Roman Empire had built that allowed travel to happen easily. So regular people just got on the roads that the pagan emperors had built, and they utilized the peace of their day. And here's what they did. They went home, and they just answered the deeper spiritual questions of their culture. Everybody in that time was talking about these mystical cults that had risen up and what it meant to have a spirit and how does it interact with our bodies. And um, last week, Gerard talked a little bit about that. They went into that culture and they answered those questions. They lived moral lives because of the change in their hearts. We get early, secularly recorded examples of people writing about Christians And they thought it was weird that we gathered together and we loved each other and gave each other a holy kiss and shared our food. They thought we were bizarre because of that. That's like their biggest complaint in many times. They're just weird. That's what they said. And we have these early letters that describe Christians as they go back and they're just moral people in a completely debased, immoral culture. You think we're bad? Read about first century Rome. There was an unwavering commitment to Christ and the church. Some of us will come to church because it's hot, cold, rainy. I don't feel good. I didn't have breakfast. I stayed up too late last night. I ran out of Fortnite credits and I'm mad. Whatever. There's a million reasons why we won't go to church. The early church was persecuted and they lived in the catacombs where they buried dead people and they had church there. How did they change the world? There was an unwavering commitment to people in the church, to other believers and to Christ. The reason the Roman government started killing Christians wasn't because they were good, wasn't because they gave their tithes to the church. It's because they wouldn't kneel at a statue or an image of Caesar and say, Caesar is a Lord. So they took early Christians and they killed them. An unwavering commitment to Christ and to the church. They went to the marketplace. They went to the goat dealership. They went to the muck collector's house. They went to the camel mechanic's the local local purified well water, algae farmers. I don't know what these people did. I'm making stuff up. And they lived out Christianity. Guys, they didn't hide in their homes or in their churches. They went out into their culture and they didn't cover up their junk and their sin and their unchanged heart with religion. Everybody already had religion. Nobody was interested in religion. They were genuine, real people, and they changed the world. Average, everyday, ordinary people who are sent, and they understood that. We have lost that sense of being sent. Here, this, was nine, this was 2015. 30% of us, we asked, do you share the gospel with people? Do you ever talk to people about your faith? 30% of people who go to church said, no, it's the job of the church. So this section, 30%, you guys, y'all don't share the gospel because of that. 64% of every Christian, this is what they said now, 64% of of every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. So only this part of the room feels like it's even their responsibility. You guys don't even think it's your job. 
75% say this, any conversation that usually happens, happens unexpectedly. If I do have to talk about my faith, I don't mean to. (laughs) It kind of sneaks up on me and I kind of have to respond with something about my faith. 40% of us won't talk. Now this is where we're at. 40% of us won't talk to somebody about our faith if we think that we will lose a relationship or damage a relationship. 60% of us won't share our faith if we feel like our message is judgmental. What are we talking about? Like, what message are we sharing with people? Have we just confused even what the gospel is? Have we started talking about homosexuality or abortion or other stuff when we should be talking about God's changed my life? He saved my soul. I'm not going to go to hell anymore. There are moral implications of that, but my gosh, that's like the dumbest conversation I can have with somebody. It impacts how I see those things. It changes how I respond to those things. But that's not the baseline of a conversation with somebody. That's not my message. I'm not waving the flag of don't abort babies. I'm not waving the flag of, I don't like homosexuality. I'm waving the flag of you're going to hell and Jesus needs to come in and save you. That's our biggest problem. But so many of us have just marginalized ourselves and it's not even our job to do it anymore. It's somebody else's job to do it. How are we sent? So if we're all sent and we're struggling with that, but if all of us are sent, how are we sent? We're sent with Jesus. He is with us on his mission with him. We are sent with Jesus on his mission with him. So what's cool, chapter 28, we're not going to read the whole thing, but if you go back the other part that's in red, so we know Jesus said something because it's in red, right? So there's a red part. We know that he came back from the dead. That's the beginning of chapter 28. So we know that one of the reasons how we're sent out, we go out because of the resurrection. Do you also understand that without the resurrection, we have nothing to talk about? Do you understand that? That if the resurrection didn't happen, or if we're going to marginalize that because it sounds really weird to people today, we have absolutely nothing to talk to people about. A good Jesus who taught good things is nothing to get excited about. Good Jesus who died on a cross and came back from the dead, I'll talk to you about that. He changed my life. He has the power to do it now. He lives today. Amen? So because of the resurrection... We are sent out. It all hinges on the cross and the resurrection. We don't get the end of chapter 28 till resurrection Sunday comes after that. Jesus says this. He goes, I'm sending you. You're going on this mission, this mission with all authority. Jesus has the authority to change the hearts of men. He now has the spiritual authority to come in and to radically alter the hearts of people everywhere. That's his authority. So when I go and I'm giving the gospel message, I might just butcher it, right? I might just totally screw it up. But thank God the authority of Jesus Christ is behind the gospel message. So it doesn't come down to my eloquence or my ability to argue with you. It comes down to the spirit of God empowering the gospel supernaturally. Other thing, he's changing lives. He says, go and make disciples and making disciples. Man, Christ is coming to people through us. The power of Christ to change lives is coming to other people through us. He is changing lives. He's with us. So how does that look when, when Jesus said, I'm with you on this mission? In here, when we share communion, there's a very special thing that happens when we're around this idea of the body of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ. I think he's with us in a special way during those times as we share our gifts with each other. 
He is with us. As we minister to each other, he is with us. And he fuels us in going. Because there's lots of days we don't feel like going, isn't there? There's lots of times we don't feel like going out. So it's the power of Christ in us that sends us out. And he's working in us through the end of time, all the way to the end of time and beyond the end of time. He's like, I'll be with you forever. He's making everything right for all time and he's doing it through us. That's how we're sent. Then these people, they go with the gospel. We go with the gospel too. What's the most powerful thing that we can tell people? That you can do good things? Would that be the the message of the gospel that I want to give away? Hey, now you do bad things, but you can do good things. That you can have good things? That you can have health? That you can have good kids? That you can have anything good you want? Because gospel, that's the gospel. Or is it this? Is this what we really want to give people? You are not good right now. I'm not good right now. We're not good right now. But you can be made good with a good God now and forever through the goodness and the good works of Jesus Christ. How's that for good? There's good stuff. There's good things we can have here, but that's not the good I want to give to somebody. I want to give a moral purity that comes from outside through the power of Jesus Christ, saving your soul that changes what you do for eternity and makes you right with a good God. Amen? That is the gospel message. We don't want to reduce the gospel to a sales pitch or the benefits of the gospel or the blessings that come here and now. Sometimes they do. Sometimes in the, the, the train of his glory, those, those blessings come to us and that's fine. But it's not the gospel. We're separated from God, and that can extend into eternity, and we cannot change that ourselves. You cannot be good enough yourself. You can't try hard enough yourself to change that. It's only the death and the resurrection of Jesus that make that possible. For our sins to be forgiven, for our spirits to be made right with God, that's the gospel. Other things flow out of it, but that's the gospel. So listen, Those of us in the ghetto this morning, those of us that are here, those of us that have grown up in this culture, I just want to ask you, have you really trusted in that? That's the gospel message. I don't know what you got sold when you were a kid or when you were in some other church, but have you trusted that, that you are not good? You can't make yourself good. You're broken and separated from God for eternity. And the only hope you have is to cry out to the the glory of God on what Jesus did for you on the cross, and he came back from the dead. He defeated death and hell and sin. And when you submit your life to him, he saves. Did you trust that? Because that's the gospel. I think a lot of us struggle with a lifetime trust in the gospel because we've confused the good news of salvation with aspects of salvation that might come our way, but they may not come our way. We've confused the goodness of being saved with being saved from our troubles and pain and suffering, or at the very least, some kind of a cure-all, when I rub the genie bottle, God's going to come running. And I've, a lot of us have based our hope in God on that kind of a God. And that's not the gospel. We want to make sure that as we talk to people, we give a clear, simple presentation of what the gospel is. We don't want to peddle some 20th century morality guidebook. What's the good news? The good news is you can do good things and be a good person and try really hard to be good and raise good kids. That's not good news. 
That's working really hard. But the gospel does mean that we will live completely differently. So we don't want to separate God's grace and good deeds. We just don't want to confuse the two things. Martin Luther said this, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther. He said this, he said, we are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. I don't earn my way to be saved, but my works follow my salvation. So the true gospel always contains the idea that I'm going to end up doing good things, but it also is clear that salvation in absolutely no way comes because of good works. So another author, J.I. Packer, said this. He said, the gospel brings us solutions to the biggest problems in life of suffering and injustice, but it does so first by solving the deepest of all human needs, the problem of man's relationship with his maker. And unless we make that plain, that the solution to the former problems depends on the settling of the latter one, we are misrepresenting the message and becoming false witnesses of God. If we're selling people the effects of the gospel or the fact that the gospel does change your works and behavior without first talking about the gospel, we are false witnesses of God and selling a false gospel. That's strong language. But I think it bears out in the New Testament when Paul has to do battle with false gospels early on too. Some of them look just like that. So all this sounds like overwhelming and kind of intimidating, you know, like, how do we do this? Is there a, a picture, Adrian? The next thing? I don't know. Okay, throw that up there, man. Okay, so this is a website, ourgospelstory.com. It's just one long word, ourgospelstory.com. And this is a Wheaton College, Billy Graham um, School, I think, of evangelism there. And on their website, I've, I've got it pulled up there. There's this curriculum thing, and it'll kind of walk you through a short training course, I hate to say it that way, but an opportunity to learn about how to speak about the gospel. It's easy. It's very approachable. It won't take a lot of time. So for those of us who struggle with, I really believe that Jesus is the hope for mankind, but I don't know how to talk about it. Great resource. Um, So I would point you there, ourgospelstory.com. I think that'll help maybe remove some of the intimidating aspects um, of what we're talking about. So we're going to wrap up, talk about it again as we talk about uh, being sent out and everything, who is sent? We talked about that. You're sent. I'm sent. All of us, if we follow Christ, he sent us on his message, uh, his mission. Who are we sent to? Now we're going to get really, really specific. So we've been talking about our one. This is a big, huge sign here. We've been talking about our one. This is the person we feel like God has placed on our hearts that we want to see come to know him as a savior. I want to talk about maybe, let's broaden it just a little bit, and maybe you've got four people in your life. Okay, so this is the one, we're not going to go away from it, but three other people, so you'd end up with four people, and I just want you to start to think, how can I get into this? How can I decomplicate this? Okay, an easy way to do this, like who can I invite? Is there a women's event? Is there something happening at the church? Is there a small group at my house? Is there something like that? that I can invite somebody to come to. We're going to have an Ash Wednesday service. We'll have a Good Friday event that happens here. Is there something that we can do that we can invite somebody to? Who can you start a spiritual relationship with? On that back table, I don't know what's back there right now, but there are some tools and some things that you can take with you to just start spiritual conversations with people. You don't have to go into 
you're lost going to hell, do you want to ask Jesus today? You don't have to start there, you know? But just introduce spiritual conversations into your relationships. How can you do that? Who can you start a a spiritual relationship with and who can you begin to pray for? Think about maybe these four people. This isn't experimental at this point. You're you're thinking about names, putting them in your phone. You're starting a prayer list right now, writing things down. Who can I begin to be involved with? Four people. What are we sharing? When I talk to them, what's, what, what am I driving toward? Well, the gospel. You're showing them the gospel in your life. That's part of the deal. You want to model what this thing looks like. But you're going to share the gospel. So I'm going to give you four points. If you want to know how to tell your story, here we go. You ready? What was God's purpose for me? Everybody can answer this question. What was God's purpose for me? God's purpose for you and for me were to have a relationship with him forever. Go back to, Act, or to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. That was our intention. That's what God wanted for us, was to have this relationship with him. What's wrong with me? It's not your parents, right? Not your parents or your spouse or your kids. You're wrong with you. You're your biggest problem. You're your biggest enemy. You're sin. God's purpose for me was this, but I'm born in sin. I'm a sinner. I prefer sin. I choose sin. I like sin. I want to do sin. That's my problem. And that drives a huge barrier between me and God. A a, a canyon that I can't get across. That's my problem. Who can make it right? Can the Pope make it right? Or a priest make it right? Or Pastor Joe make it right? Or your mom and dad's faith or baptism? None of those things are sufficient. Who can make me right? 1 Peter 3.18, Jesus Christ died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that we may be right with God. Who can make me right? Christ can make me right. What he's done for me can make me right. His work on the cross and the resurrection. Now, how can I be made right? Faith, trust, belief, submission, whatever word you want to use to talk to somebody about what it means to follow Christ, to trust in what he's done. That's how you're made right. Four points that you can use to tell your story. You don't have to answer it generically. You can stick your story in there. And you've got a gospel presentation. So personalize that. There may be people you're not even aware of. You got your four, you got your one. There might be this supernatural appointment that God has for you today. Today. And it's the one you're supposed to talk to. But be ready. Be prepared. Don't be caught by by surprise. Put your head in a swivel and look around. So there's people in here right now, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is the oldest sermon that I've ever heard. Everybody's been talking about this forever. Let's just get on with spiritual growth or something fun. So you can sit here and evaluate and critique and judge what happens here this morning. But I want to ask this. By the way, you're deeply entrenched in the ghetto if that's your mentality. That just kind of reveals how deeply you're set. So I want to ask everyone who's kind of thinking like that this morning, who are you giving the gospel to? You don't like my way of doing it? Great. Who are you doing it with? How are you doing it? You can attend Bible studies and read a million books about Jesus. Who are you giving the gospel to? You can judge failed churches and failed pastors and failed church people. Who are you giving the gospel to? Listen, the world, I really deeply believe this, man. The world is looking for a hope that will change people's behavior, that would really, really alter the way people behave. But what we desperately need is a transformation of the human heart. And thank God, this is what Jesus offers us, isn't it? 
he offers us a changed heart. Ezekiel chapter 20, 36. I will take out hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh. We want to see things like what happened in New York this week never happen again. That's going to happen through transformed hearts. The world is desperate for people that behave differently. How does it happen? You and I, regular people, go to our places of business, work, and school, and we give the gospel away. Two weeks ago, we kind of prayed a prayer like this, and we're going to go into our prayer time. Jimmy, the band, I don't know who's playing, but you guys can come on up. We're having this extended response time right now as we think about sharing the faith, sharing the gospel with people. So I asked this question two weeks ago. I want to ask it again. Have you prayed for what God wants for 2019? Have you prayed a prayer like that? God, for this year, 2019, give me this, do this, act in this way, change this, whatever. What do you want from me, God? Have you prayed some prayer like that? I can't answer what God might say on those prayers. I have no idea. But listen, and I want to say, this is an exact repeat of what I said two weeks ago, and it's worth saying again. I don't know the answer to those prayers, but I can guarantee you this, that Jesus was born for the lost, he cried for the lost, he lived for the lost, he died for the lost, and he came back for the lost. I can guarantee you that Jesus loves those who don't know him and he wants them to come to him. I can guarantee you that Jesus sent us to continue that mission to the lost. I can guarantee you that. I don't know what else God has for you this year. But I can guarantee you those things. So, Christian, fellow ghetto ghetto dwellers, are we crying out to God for the salvation of the lost? Are we living our lives in such a way that we will give the hope of eternity to the lost? Are we dying to ourselves? Are we going on Jesus' mission field with desperation and tears? Are we crying out and praying for the lost? So we're going to end our time today with some, some general prayer, but also some specific prayer. And I'm going to give you some detailed instructions. We're going to have worship too as we go to the end of our time. So over here on the, to the left here, my left, you're right, there's this prayer wall. We're going to end this today, and next week we're going to ask people to come start praying over these things. This is any prayer request. Big, small, little, you may find it to be trivial. It doesn't matter. We want to pray for each other. So there's an opportunity for you before you leave to go fill out a card, tie it on a string, and put it on that board. So take advantage of that. Here's the other thing I want to really give us a challenge with. You may not write your four names. Maybe that's what you want to write on that card. Maybe your one's already up on the sign. They're, it's littered with names. That's what all the scribbling is. We've come and we've written names. God, this is my one. Save them. Use me. That's what I want us to really get into again today is praying specifically. God, for my four, how can you use me? For my one, how can I have this conversation? Let me be a part of them coming to salvation. Use me. Change their hearts. Save them. Pray for God to use you to go and to do something with the gospel. Adrian, I think the last thing, there's these four points I want to leave up there. We're going to leave that up there, man. So just put it up there. How do I pray for lost people? I've had people ask me that. This isn't magical juju prayer or anything. It's just scriptures. So how can I do that? 
pray from Ezekiel chapter 11, God, give them hearts of flesh. It's another place where God talks about that. Do you realize that, that lost people are dead? Y'all get that? Their hearts are dead. They're slaves to sin. They're dead in their sin. Their hearts are stone. You guys get that? God, don't resuscitate, my friend. They're almost dead. God, they're dead. Give them hearts of flesh. That's a biblical prayer. Second thing, God, put your spirit in them. Put your Holy Spirit in them from Ezekiel chapter 36. Grant them repentance. Second Timothy says that repentance is a gift from God. So God, I'm not asking you to have them repent on their own. I'm asking you to give them the gift of repentance. Let them come to you and repent of their sins. Repent of not following you. Repent of not making you king of their hearts. Give them repentance. And the last thing is open their hearts so that they may believe. Acts chapter 16. There's a place in Ephesians that says that the enemy has spiritually blinded those who don't know Christ. God, open their eyes. Give them spiritual eyes so that they can see. Before we got started today, we prayed through and I I read through Psalm 34. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. God, let my one taste and see that the Lord is good. Let my four see in me, not a ghettoized Christianity that uses language nobody understands. Let them see in me the Lord is good. Can you pray that prayer for yourself? My lost friends, my lost neighbor, my lost spouse, let them see me and how I live with you because I've been changed in my heart. Let them taste and see that the Lord is good because of me. God, save them. Are you ready to desperately cry out for someone this morning? Can we do that? So they're going to sing, and, and, and you can sing with them if you want to. It doesn't matter. You can come up here and write a name on the one sign. You can write a name here. There's prayer altars there. There's prayer altars back there. Pray. Let's begin to seek and begin to ask the Lord, how do you use me to save my friends, my mother, my father, my children, my neighbors? Amen? God, give us these eyes that we need to see the lost people in our lives. Give us your heart. I think more than anything, give us your heart. You're desperate for these people to come to you. You've paid it all for them to come to know you. God, use me. Use us. Use our church so that people would taste and see that the Lord is good. and The gospel is the hope of mankind. As we sing, come and pray. Write your names down. Use this time to respond and begin to cry out for the lost people in our lives. Show me your face Fill up the space My world needs you
God has you where you are, whatever the pain may be, whatever the difficulty may be, for the, the only reason you're there is that somebody can come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Christian, is that enough for you to keep going, to get up and do it again, go through the struggle, the pain, to have that prayer, that in your heart, God, use me, show me your face, my world needs you. Father God, use us. Use our church, use these people, use these families, God, to get out of what's comfortable to get out of the culture that we know, to go to a lost culture, a world that is so far away from you, so that hearts of stone can be turned to hearts of flesh through the saving power of Jesus. God, I pray we would never compromise. We're going to use language, hopefully, that people would understand, but we would never compromise what we're out talking to people about. You're good, and your ways are good, and your path is good. God, we're not selling those things to people. They come because our hearts have been made right with you. Save us, change us, give us gospel on our lips and in our hearts. Let us be aware, be watching and be looking. We have these four people we're going to pray for. God, this one, use us to save them. In your name we pray. Amen, guys. We're on that mission, okay? Uh, we're going to do a couple of things. Wesley's here. Creeper, dude, don't do that. 
Come stand on the side. I need peripheral vision for you. Um, so Wes is going to come and talk to us about uh, some things that are happening in the church. Our guys are going to come and take up our offering. We're going to do two offerings here. This is our regular offering. I'm going to come back in a minute and tell you another need in our church. We'll take up a separate one. Um, so now if you're a guest, don't give anything. We don't ask for anything from you. Just the opportunity to tell you thanks for being here. If you have a prayer request, write it on that card and give it to us. Um, so as our guys are going to come and take up the offering, Wes is going to talk to us about some things. I'm going to ask Miss Veronica Gonzalez to go ahead and come on up here. She's going to talk to us for a minute here in a second. Uh, this is a very important Uganda child sponsorship. If you have a child that you were sponsoring in 2018, we need you to go back to the back table and meet with Rick or Nick um, and to pretty much recommit for 2019. So if you're interested in continuing, continuing your sponsorship for that child, uh, please go back to that table today. That needs to happen uh, today. Next steps for Carter's kids. This is happening, happening next Sunday, uh, February 3rd at 9 a.m. You need to sign up for this event. Child care and breakfast will be provided. This is for um, you guys just getting info on how you can be more involved with Carter's kids, uh, what you can do as a family, what you can do as an individual, um, and just how you can help, okay? So please be there uh, next Sunday for that, and you can sign up online or email us uh, for more information about that. Then also, men's Bible study is happening. Um, Books are in the back. They're $10. This is going to be on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. here at the sanctuary. It starts uh, February 6th, so please sign up for that and go get a book. Only $10. Miss Veronica is going to talk to us about the ladies' ministry. Good morning. So I have two things that I wanted to um, kind of share with the ladies in the room tonight. Uh, one, we have a Hosea Bible study that starts February the 5th, Tuesday, um, morning time and evening. So there are two different options, whichever one fits best for you. We'd really love to have you be part of that. Um, Faith um, has a sign-out sheet, and there's a sign-out sheet for the evening time. There is child care uh, Tuesday morning, so please, if you feel like you want to come be part of that, we would love to have you there. Um, and then the other opportunity that we have coming up is February 12th, Tuesday night, at Holy Roast Coffee House. Um, we have Java with my sister. If you weren't able to come with us last in October, we'd love for you guys to join us. It's just a great time of fellowship, um, an opportunity to meet new people. We have coffee, we have great fellowship, worship, and devotional, so we'd love you ladies to join us as well. There's also a sign-up sheet for that. We do need to know how many people are coming, even though the coffee is free. We have an item that we want to gift you with that night, and it's important that we know how many are there so we can have enough. So we hope you ladies will join us, and we look forward um, to our time there. Um, we're going to do two things. Um, First of all, I want to update you on the, um, the Smith family, um, little Colin. Um, he is still fighting and fighting hard. Um, and quite frankly, when you, when you walk with people through this uh, preemie birth and difficulty, it makes the New York thing that much more hard to swallow. Uh, little Colin's fighting for his life. He had surgery this week. There was an area on his back, a skin issue that they had to deal with. Um, but we're, we're going to celebrate that he's two and a half weeks older than he was when he came into the world. Breathing and fighting, man, little guy. So we're going to keep praying for him. I don't know if everybody's aware of this, but his mother, Lisa, has cancer. And they actually started chemo for her before she gave birth um, and are continuing her treatments now. So she's got a long, hard uh, battle to fight. 
So I told you two offerings, and here's what I'd like to do. If you've ever been down to the medical center, it costs you an arm and a leg to park there for a day. They're going every day. Um, They're down there all the time. That's our turnaround, you know, one way sometimes. Uh, The costing of parking, um, food while you're there, expenses, all these things that kind of come your way, plus what Lisa's going through. So we, we have here in our church, we have a fund set up for things like this. It's just called a family emergency fund. And we use it for these kinds of situations. So here's what I'm asking you to do today. If you can, um, and, and it doesn't have to be today, but we're going to start this today. If you could give to that family emergency fund, um, we'd like to bless the, the Smiths with some extra help. They just need help, guys, um, while they go through this fight. So right over there, Rick, I'm going to have you just wave your hand. And he hit the bottom. The box that he just hit, <laughs> we're going we're to use that box for the offering. So if you have a gift for the family, you're going to drop it in there. You can write Smith Family on there, Family Emergency, either one, and we'll, we'll do that. So you can drop it in that box before you go. You can give online also if you would like to. Um, you can do that before you leave. Here's the other thing I'd like to do. I won't embarrass anybody, but um, they're over here. Martinez Family, would you all two mind coming up here? Um, so another long story. The kids can come too. I don't care. I don't want to embarrass anybody if, if y'all would like to. Um, Wesley, do me a favor, man. Just grab a couple of chairs and maybe bring them over here for me. And y'all come over here. So I don't know the whole story. and We don't have time. I just know that this sweet family has been struggling for a while. And uh, Ms. Megan has some cancer issues also. And those things have kind of cropped back up here in the last several weeks. You can see she's got just a precious family, and they're awesome, and they joined us here uh, several months ago. And we need to pray for grace and mercy and healing. Can we do that? God of miracles come. We sang it earlier, right? It's either a faith issue or it's not. We believe it or we don't. I don't know what God's going to do, but we're going to ask. Can we do that? Be bold in the asking and bold in the believing. So I'm going to ask, I don't care who, come up here. Let's surround these people. Sit on these chairs. Put your hands. We're going to pray for them. Ask God's healing mercy. You don't have to come put your hands on each other. Just fill this area up. We're going to sing a worship song. We're going to pray. We're going to ask the God of miracles to come. Can we do that? Father God, we are trusting in the good gospel that you have saved our souls. Father, whether it's, and I mean this, God, whether it's Megan, Mindy, or Lisa, or anybody else in here who's struggling with some kind of congenital illness or sickness, God, our great hope in life is that you have saved our souls and our bodies will live again with you someday. And I don't want to ever undersell that. That's the great hope of Christianity. But God, you've also told us that when we have cares to come to you because you care for us. You've told us that when we're sick to have the church come around us and lay hands on us and anoint us and pray for us. You've told us to confess our sins. You've told us to come and ask and that you won't give us things that we don't need, but only the things that we need. We're coming, we're asking, we're seeking, we're knocking. God, move. God of miracles, come. Heal this woman. I really, I don't know what else to pray. There's nothing flowery to say here. Heal her. Take this out of her forever and for always. We want to trust you to do that. We're also going to trust you to to sustain this family. This is a hard thing. It's tough for these girls to go through. What does faith look like? We'll help them to see faith in their mom and dad. Help them to see what it means to trust God, that tragedy doesn't steal their faith. Father, I pray for this couple, that they would not be driven apart. They'd be driven closer together. And that the hope of the Lord would fill their hearts. The joy of the Lord would be their strength. 
You'd be their hiding place when it's hard. You'd provide everything they need. This is trying in every level of life. You'd be their provider and their sustainer for all things, Lord. We come to you, we ask you for good because you're good, and in you there's no shadow of turning. Can we just ask for healing? Can you do that? God of miracles, come. We're going to sing and pray. We'll conclude our worship time this way today. God, hear our prayers. Spot what I see, Lord, I believe. But hell, my unbelief, I choose to trust you. No matter what I feel, let faith arise. Let faith arise. For my champion's not dead, he is alive. Oh, and he already knows my every need. Surely he will come and Sing in faith. Continue to approach you with faith, Lord. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Guys, you all have a fantastic week. We will see you next Sunday.